Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Brooks Bassler from BB's Tex Orleans coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, the Clay Group, that is to say the bar, nightlife, and restaurant group behind establishments such as Clay, Spire, Bisu, and Kiss, has claimed the former Yaya Mary's space for Post Oak Lodge, which I am describing as an American grill by day and a sports bar at night. Essentially, it'll be like a fast casual restaurant that appeals to area office workers with burgers, sandwiches, salads, healthy dishes, that kind of stuff uh, for lunch, you know, and then at dinner, full service with a whole bunch of TVs, uh, ideally kind of a spot like a, you know, kind of a moxie style sports bar and restaurant for watching games. Mary, I say all that to say to you, what are your thoughts about Post Oak Lodge? Do you feel like this is a concept that is a good fit for the general Galleria uptown area? I think yes. Um, I feel like the opening of CL nearby at San Felipe and Post Oak, they're basically on the other side of 610 from this location and I think there's a demand for places like this. I don't come from the club world, so I always kind of look at it in just amazement at how these places work and what it takes for them to be successful. But if CL is any indication of, is there an appetite for places like this? I do think that there is. Well, you know, I, I, I'm actually, I'm glad you said that because I think you identified maybe some of the expectations that they're, going to have to sort of reset for people, right? Bisu is kind of the original CL, right? That, that you know, glitzy, high energy, a little bit of that nightclub vibe with, you know, bottle service and that kind of thing. You know, they do that already. In contrast, Post Oak Lodge is just a restaurant. It's not going to, it's not going to have any of that. It's, it's going to be more like, you know, they're kind of taking their inspiration from places like Houston's or maybe, you know, some somewhere between Houston's, Moxie's, Mia's Table, and Pappas Burger. You, you put all that in a blender, you know, so it's a, it's a much more conventional restaurant, right? It's it's not going to have sparklers or any of that kind of stuff. It's it's just like a, it's like a good hang. Uh, and so I, I do think, you know, it, it's going to be kind of on the Clay Group to say, yeah, if you want to party, we got you at Bisu, we've got you at Kiss. But if you just want like a great burger, you know, a nice piece of grilled salmon, you know, a healthy salad uh, for lunch or dinner, maybe watch a game, post Oak Lodge. And, and so, you know, I do I do think there's there's a little bit of messaging to kind of get around that because it's it's not intended to be a rival of CL. If anything, CL is a rival for Bisu, which is which has been very successful for them, you know. I just think a lot of times people, the public as a whole, has a hard time discerning once you've established yourself as a 
bizu or a clay type of spot, people don't know how to think of you differently until you show them that you're different. And so, you know, do people want a casual place from this type of restaurant group? I don't know. And, you know, once they open up the, if they listen to their customers and the public, it'll, it'll help more nearly define what they are. So I, I'm curious to see if people want a casual concept from a club group. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the primary, you know, target demo, you know, at least for lunch are those two office towers that are right next to them on that, you know, kind of on that corner of San Felipe and 610. So, you know, counter service, kind of like in the Pappas Burger model where you, you order at the counter and then there's some servers floating around to like bring you a refill or, or if you want a dessert or whatever. So you have that kind of hybrid casual table service model. So I, I think in some ways, like just appearance, style of service, you know, all of that kind of stuff will sort of set those expectations. And then, you know, just a kind of conventional sports bar, not a restaurant, not anything like too ostentatious, but just like <laughs> good food, not, but, but that's what you would expect, right? If you're like, oh, the, you know, the, the clay guys are opening a sports bar. You'd be like, oh, it's, it's designed to rival, you know, Hooters Bottle or, blonde. Uh, yeah, or, uh, right. And it's not that, you know, it's, this is not their bottle blonde. This is not their twin peaks. This is, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot more chill than that. Uh, Listen, so, twin peaks is very good. Their beers are very, very delicious. I don't, you, you know, <laughs> as someone who, who actually likes beer, telling me that the beer is so cold, I can barely taste it is not actually a selling point. Right. You know, that like we sell our beers at 37 degrees thing. That's, that's not. Yeah, for for watered down, you know, American macro beers, uh, that's a that's a feature. For for anything that I actually want to taste, that's not okay. As a as, as a complete drive by and, and a complete aside, uh, but but you know, I do think they're they're kind of onto something with this, and and it does seem like the kind of the right, you know, now that people are kind of back in their offices, everybody likes a, a relatively affordable lunch you know the nice thing about counter services you don't feel as obligated to tip 20 percent, so it's a little more affordable from that perspective and, and you know and then whatever kind of nighttime weekend business they do you know they're going to open in march so just in time for the final four to be here in houston you know they'll draw a crowd for that they'll draw a crowd during astros games and you know the texans have new energy with a new coach so you know college football saturdays that whole thing like it'll be It'll be a destination for all of that. And I, and I think you the know, Texans could have new energy, but that's another topic. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't, I don't expect you to opine on the state of the local football team, but sure won't. <laughs> right. But yes, no, I, I, I do think that, you know, it's, it's some of it's in the branding, some of it's in the marketing. I talked to Zach Truesdell, who's one of the partners. He's very excited about it. And and once you sort of explain what they're trying to do, I think it I think it makes a lot of sense. If it's if it's essentially if it's King Ranch Texas Kitchen, which is right around the corner from them on on Post Oak, with enough TVs to watch games, you know, I think they'd be onto something. Or Houston's with televisions, I, I think they could really be onto something. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's room for more concepts like this in the Galleria area um, and if they concentrate on taking care of 
people that are in the nearby vicinity, then they don't have to leave for lunch. Then they can capture somebody that's a regular. Right. I think that's, I think that's right. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Chris Cusack has announced that he is opening a second location of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, the cocktail bar and pizzeria that he opened last year on Washington Avenue. The second location is coming to Montrose in the former bamboo camwalk space. This is going to Montrose Boulevard between Richmond and 59. Mary, let me just ask you, have you, have you had a chance to make it to the original Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice on Washington? And if so, what did you think of it? Yes, I've been, uh, I liked it. I'm particular about my pizza. I say that as I'm coming off of having been to a pizza party at a friend's house last night and at, uh, a wonderful pizza spot, Bufalina in Austin, the, the weekend this past weekend. So it's not my particular style of favorite pizza. It's good. There's nothing wrong with it. And it was packed when I was there. Uh, good cocktails, good drinks. I think it's a, you know, the first location is a great location. And I think there's room to do multiples of these. And I think they'll do quite well. Uh, just, you know, not, not my favorite style of pizza. Yeah, it's it's a little bit unusual in the sense that it's it kind of operates somewhere between it's more of a pan style of pizza, you know, almost like a, you know, like a kind of the, that thicker Domino's crust or like an old school pizza, hut, you know, but it's baked in a it's baked in a cast iron pan. So it gets that crispy edge, but it's not as it's not as thick as, you know, Detroit or Chicago style deep dish. It's got it's got some heft to it. It's got a little more chew. And then they do a burger, they do some appetizers, they do, and obviously they do a, a really extensive cocktail program that, you know, I think is the big draw for them. The big change with the new location will be that the the original location on Washington Avenue, all the cooking is done on a food truck and taking over a restaurant, they'll have a real kitchen. So they can use that to do all the, the prep work for both locations. They can expand the menu a little bit. You know, I, I like the pizza, you know, I'm, I'm with you. It's maybe not my, my go-to style, uh, necessarily, but, but I thought they were onto something with it. And, you know, Chris worked with Anthony Callio, who was the founder of pie pizza and, and now is the chef at Rudyard's and sixes and sevens. And he, you know, Anthony, Anthony really knows pizza. So, you know, I, I think the pizza is pretty good, you know, and then it kind of comes down to style, but, but no, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, if you just sort of think about where that general area of Montrose and Midtown, you've got you've got Love Buzz, you've got Home Slice that just opened, Pizarro's is uh, right down the street from them. So you know Romano's is on West Gray. So there's there's relatively a lot of pizza in the area, and and they'll have to contend with that. But but the cocktail program is is very good, and the atmosphere is fun, and so I think you know that'll help it stand out a little bit. People love pizza right now. I mean, Italian concepts, pizza concepts, barbecue concepts. I think Houston isn't going to tire of anything like this anytime soon. No, I think I think that's right. Uh, any other thoughts on this? No, I think that's it. All right. Then let's move on to topic number three. Cafe Express has opened its new locations in the Woodlands. This follows on a bunch of renovations and work they did in River Oaks last fall new location new well same location on west gray but but you know an all new look uh an updated menu they brought back the condiment bar hooray 
Mary, I, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but, you know, Cafe Express is this kind of, you know, it's it's got an interesting pedigree. It was founded by uh, Robert Del Grande and Lonnie Schiller, who uh, were the force behind Cafe Annie for so many years. It flourished, you know, it grew it grew all across Houston. It, it's contracted a little bit uh, in recent years, and, and now they're kind of sending it back up to grow again. They say they want to have 30 locations across Texas by the end of the decade, which is pretty ambitious. So, so let me just throw it to you. I mean, have you been to the renovated cafe express in river Oaks? And, and if so, kind of, what do you think about it as a fit for the woodlands? I haven't been to the renovated one. I've, I know that location. I drive by it all the time. I've seen some of the renovations from when I drive by. It's a good brand. I mean, it's a, it's a brand I've known since I was a kid. I mean, Cafe Express used to be considered like fancy, fancy dining kind of for the 90s and early 2000s, I would say. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that branding strategy will work in today's environment. I do think they probably have a brand loyalty that is worth trying to grow. Nobody's going to invest in 30 concepts if they don't think they have it down. Uh, but I think time will tell. There's so many concepts I like that are fast casual that didn't exist even a handful of years ago. I, my favorite one in, in my neighborhood and is also in several neighborhoods is local foods. I know that's not the exact same as this, but uh, just really casual grab and go type of food. I think there's a lot of competition. Uh, sweet green's not my jam, but I know that's very popular as well. Yeah, I think what sort of sets I, I I think those are interesting comparisons because you know what what sort of sets Cafe Express apart at least in its original iteration was that it was a little it was a little chefier than that. You know, you could get a you could get a pasta, you could get a burger, you could get an entree, you know, they're doing steak now, you could get a piece of fish there, big salad. So it's it's a little bit more like in the you know, it's it's like a a more casual or a fast casual, you know, maybe more like a Barnaby's. Houston's would be kind of a, a, a you know three steps up from that, but but it does have that kind of something for everybody, you know, a really a, a broad menu, a, you know, a decent little wine and beer list, you know, healthy options, less healthy options, you know. I think it I think it kind of plays in that ballpark, and and so if it's, you know, if it's family friendly, if it's you know, reasonably affordable, uh, especially in the woodlands where everything just seems so expensive. Uh, I, I think they could find a lot of success up there. The woodlands definitely is a good home for a place like this that wants a more casual uh, dining option. And you're correct. I mean, in the woodlands, so many of the options that are there are on the more expensive end. So this will probably cater a lot to people in office uh, suites and towers down there by Lake Woodlands. So it's a it's a good market for this type of concept. And I think they'll do well. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the News of the Week. We'll be right back with our Restaurant of the Week. Stick around. Mary, for our Restaurant of the Week, I want to talk to you about Sushi by Hidden. This is the new omakase counter in Rice Village. It, I I still think of it as the original location of Cloud Ten Creamery, but it it was uh, it was a churro shop 
briefly, it's it's basically right next to uh, Copa, Gratify, and Cyclone Anaya's. And and you know, Hidden Omakase is known for kind of being, you know, it's got it's got it it's sort of it's literally hidden. It doesn't have a sign. The entrance looks like a comic book shop, and then of course you walk in and you see the sushi counter. But Sushi by Hidden has an art gallery kind of lobby, and then you walk you walk through uh, a hidden door, and then you're you're in the a sushi counter with a dozen seats, and and the chef's making the food right in front of you. So, so let me just ask you, I mean, what did you, what did you think about our dinner at Sushi by Hidden? I think this kind of concept is a cool take on an omakase type of experience at a reasonable price. Uh, Great, great cuts of fish. I thought everything they did was very well executed, super fresh product. I liked that you could pick from four or five different uh, evening specials as add-ons i like what they're aiming for i think it's the time constraints a little tight it's 30 minutes which i don't know if i'm with my friends like you and i when we're together we're catching up about you know what you've been up to since i've last seen you and everything else and 30 minutes just seems like pretty tight uh so i think you know i know they have an hour and they use the 30 minutes for dining and the other 30 to reset or if you're running a little bit late or whatnot but i i think if i went back i would want the last seating of the night that way i could hopefully hang out a little bit longer especially if you're gonna drink or have a bottle of wine or sake yeah i i think that's all well said i i think you know i i didn't mean to bury the lead on this the idea is that you get unlike hidden omakase which is you know, 15 or more courses over the course of somewhere between, you know, 90 minutes and two hours. Hidden Omakase is a really twite, is a really tight, easy for me to say, 12 pieces of nigiri in 30 minutes, and they don't wait, right? You were, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes late hey, for no. the start. <laughs> no, no. But, and then, but you, you sat down to have uh, whatever the first five pieces of nigiri that you missed you know, arrayed on a plate waiting for you. So yes. they, they don't, don't they're, they're my not, language. they don't mess around. They don't, they don't fuck around on, on the timing. They are sticking to it no matter what. That's right. They, they've got, because they've got another group, you know, as soon as you, right, we walked out, we lingered for maybe 10 extra minutes, sort of, you know, finishing our, our drink or whatever. And then there were already people in like, the lobby coming in for the next seating, like waiting to come like in for the next seating. I five or 10 minutes late is pretty much on time for me but you definitely have to be on time and to take into account that you're going to need to valet because street parking isn't super easy i mean you could do it but you wouldn't park within a couple of blocks of the restaurant so you probably want to be 10 to 15 minutes early just so you know you can park yeah no i i think that's good advice and you know you mentioned lingering over drinks it's worth noting it's byob so at least at least for right now right at least for for now So if you bring a bottle of wine or, I I mean, frankly, I always like uh, beer with sushi, but you know, whatever you, whatever you bring, you're going to have to be able to consume or recork in that same half an hour. So, you know, sort of plan. Or you can just start doing shots, Eric. Come on. You're doing, you're doing some whiskey shots, Japanese whiskey. I mean, the (laughs) chef was very generous. He shared, he shared a little bit of Yamazaki with us, which, you know, is one of my favorites. So I'll never say no to that. 
I'm a good date because I handed you mine. I was like, I don't drink this. And you looked at me like, are you crazy? I'm like, oh, here you go. <laughs> if you if you knew what it cost, you would have drank it. But since uh, you, that's not how but, I, play. but it I was, like it or I don't like it. <laughs> right. But it was very well. It's it's one of my absolute favorites. So I was I was only too happy to drink your portion. I should can, say. Can I ask for a highball next time? I could do it like that. Well, you could you could have brought yeah you could have brought you could have yeah they have Topo Chico right so you could have yeah. yeah you could have you could have made a DIY highball with uh, with a little Topo I, and a squeeze of lime that I could work with. But just just talk a little bit more about did you do you remember from the meal did you have a couple of uh, favorite bites? Um, well, I have a favorite memory and a favorite bite. I taught you how to do caviar bumps. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think that was my first caviar bump. Thank you, but yes, I, I like that you can splurge on that. Right, that that is an available add-on. I don't remember what it cost. Another, uh, you know, ten or fifteen bucks. Oh, ten bucks for. I, I'm looking at the menu. Ten bucks for a little a little serving of caviar that they put on your on your wrist for you or on your thumb for you to eat. They had a new Nagi uh, add-on too that was great, or, or not not a Nagi Uni add-on that we had that I loved. Every, yes. I mean, every every cut of fish that they served was beautifully done, and it was, you know, classic omakase style. I mean, there were lighter fish, heavier fish, oilier fish, fattier fish, and I I think you're in for a treat. I really, I actually want to go back for lunch because I think that is the sweet spot for this concept. I think lunch, 30 minutes, like, sign me up. I just had lunch at Kata today. I eat at Kata once or twice a week. It's I usually go to get in and out. Every now and then I'll go to have a lingering lunch with a person or a group of people. But at lunchtime, I've got stuff to do. So I think that's that's the very much sweet spot for them. No, I, I think that that's right. You know, I don't mind it as like a stop you know, it's like, it's, it's filling enough, right? You you don't really feel like you need more food, especially if you, if you supplement, if you, if you indulge in an extra piece of Toro or maybe a piece of Wagyu to kind of round out your meal, you don't, you don't necessarily feel like you need more food. Uh, and then you can go get a drink. Like you could go to Lee's Den, for example, and have a glass of wine, or you could, you could hit the bar at, at someplace like Gratify or Navy Blue uh, or Hamsa and have, you know, you could have a, a cocktail or something. So or... from somebody who loves wine and his business is wine, Lee's Den is the perfect follow-up for this. If you yeah. want to have drinks for a longer period of time or grab a bottle from their retail shop before you go and have dinner over here. No, I, I think that that's a very sad part because, you know, because Lee's Den is so pretty and because their markups basically retail, it's, it's, it's very reasonable. It's my favorite for for drinking at a reasonable price. Lee's Den is where it's at. All right. Any other thoughts about? Oh, so just to be clear, you would go back to Hidden Omakase or Sushi by Hidden. I I think my next uh, my next visit will be lunch followed by a last seating for dinner. Yeah, I I'm with you. I think I do kind of understand the idea of feeling a little bit rushed out the door, but I also appreciated how efficient it was. And it's 60 bucks. It's like a nice compromise between, you know, just getting like a, a combo plate at, at a nice sushi restaurant, like, like a kata. It's, it's a little more, you know, the, the, the nigiri is dressed and, and presented to you individually. So you kind of get that omakase experience without spending, you know, hidden omakase is, you know, $175. Hmm. So 
60 you bucks know. is a steal. If I, I don't know if they're doing a special Valentine's menu or not, but it, I don't believe in celebrating Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. Different story. But I think, I mean, that's where I would be going for Valentine's Day. What a great, reasonable price for two when so many restaurants are trying to charge outrageous prices. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I will be back with Brooks Bassler. I am joined this week by the owner and founder of BB's Tex Orleans, a Cajun restaurant with more than a dozen locations across Houston and San Antonio. Brooks Bassler, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Eric. Thanks for having me, my man. Thanks for doing this. You know, I I look back and and I've been doing this for a while now, and I've I've had a lot of guests on. I I feel like I've been you've been a little overlooked. I feel like you're you're past due for this, so I'm I'm glad you're here. I appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. I always kind of like to start these conversations with kind of the beginning of people's careers. So, so tell me a little bit about about the path that led you to BB's Tex Orleans. I mean, what, what was your experience in the restaurant business? Yeah. So I started waiting, uh, I went, I went to university of Houston school of business. And, um, like most students at university of Houston, I, I started working, um, my freshman year and, um, I was going through a, a, the entrepreneurship program there and they have a pretty unique mentorship program and they connect you with people that are in your industry or industry that you express interest in. And, um, I expressed interest in the restaurant business very early through this program. They said, oh yeah, we know actually some of the owners over at uh, Tosca wine and kitchen bar. And, uh, it was a really cool kind of Spanish tapas place. Charles Clark was, uh, the chef there. And I was uh, awaited tables there at that place for about a year. Um, and it was fine dining and I loved it. Loved the business. It's right in the middle of downtown and it was, the vibe was awesome. But at the end of the day, you know, the fine dining thing just was not for me, so to speak. Uh, and so my um, good friend of mine said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, bartender waiting tables down here at two rows restaurant brewery in the rice village. And, um, I said, well, tell me about it. He's like, oh, it's sports, and they do a dollar beer night on Wednesday, and it's awesome. So I was like, well, shoot, sign me up. So went down there, started waiting tables um, towards the end of my 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 tenure at University of Houston. And um, actually, when I graduated from college, I just stayed there as a waiter and a bartender. So I was waiting tables and, and, and bartending with a college degree like a lot of folks do. And uh, the owner approached me of the business, said, hey, Brooks, we're looking for someone that uh, can basically help us get a catering operation going. We're doing zero catering. It's something we want to start from scratch. We've been having a lot of success with it in our Dallas branch. Um, we want to, If you're interested in it, we'd like to send you up to Dallas for a week and do some training there and show you basically how to start a catering business from scratch. I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. So jumped into that um as a catering is a sales job you know it was a total sales job and i ended up becoming a, a you know sales and service manager form had a lot of success uh grew it out to a, a you know a decent little size operation for them and people started noticing what i was doing and um 
Jeff Annan, who was the owner of Berry Hill Baja Grill at the time, uh, approached me and said, hey, we're looking for someone to help our catering operation kind of get to the next level. What do you think? And it was just a better comp package. And I'm like, man, that sounds great. He walked me through it. I was like, let's do it. So started working at Berry Hill for a little bit. And um, actually was there about three and a half years. And I had a ton of success. And it just got to the point where it was a commission job. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, you know, arose and I was making more money than everybody in the business. And um, it didn't sit well with the managers. And uh, so yeah, yeah, Jeff was like, hey, Brooks, um, man, we, we just got to restructure your compensation plan. And I knew that was basically the, 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 the end of it for me. And so I lost interest really quickly. And uh, I said, hey, um, you know, we were going through some negotiations and I really thought about it. I want to do my own thing. I just never really had a, a reason to, to really make the leap because I was young and I was like just trying to figure out the restaurant industry still, you know, so kind of um, love Jeff, man. I still stay in touch with him to this day off and on. And but he kind of gave me that nudge to just jump out there on my own. So I left that conversation. I called my dad and said, man, this is what happened. Dad, I was saying this is my sign to go do my own thing. And um, he said, OK, OK, so started doing some research. I have a ton of family in South Louisiana. And, um, you know, I came across, uh, landed on the po' boy, you know, I have a lot of family scattered throughout there. Being in the industry, I was always eating late, um, always. So I was just a late eater naturally. I love to eat late and I can never find anything that I was just like, Oh, this is, a, this is awesome. You know, it's like me, get some good, decent, above average service at three in the morning with like super high quality food. Couldn't find it. You know, it was limited. There's very few options. Yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about kind of Houston in like the early two thousands, you know, there's maybe Theo's, uh, you know, cats, cats was around by then. Right. They're they're a staple, you know, they, they've house of pies, I guess, you know, Mize maybe Peck was the Mexican place. There was the Greek cat, the, the, the cafe there on West gray. And you go in there, it's basically a shit show. Most of the places at two. <laughs> yeah. You might get served. You might not. Um, and so. Well, but, but they didn't feel like, right. There's not a lot of competition in that market. And there's a ready crowd of, well, to be honest, right. Mostly drunk people. Right. So, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily exactly. perceive that they're not being treated well. Yeah. They just want some food and just to soak the, you know, the partying up and, just like I did. And and I said, you know, if I can just offer something like high quality food at that hour, I think we're going to, I think we're going to crush it. So develop the menu, uh, New Orleans style po' boys kind of being the the backbone of it and late night dining, you know, that was our deal. And um, started in uh, 2007, right there on the corner of Montrose, a little nine table restaurant. And, um, you, you know, it was a very slow go, but we always had the late night deal. Always, you know, our fir- I remember our first month in business, I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it. We did like $16,000 a whole month. And, um, you know, I was like, I don't know if this thing's going to make it or not, but we just kept, you know, just chugging along, chugging along, just working, 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 working. The late night deal was always there. Like since day one, we could rely on that. So that was, and, and I also had the catering piece. So the caterers could cover me during the day. The late nights are covering it late night. We just had to figure out kind of who the hell we are and fill in the gap, so to speak. And about about 19, 20 months in, we, we started turning a profit. 
Um, I mean, I was waiting tables. I couldn't pay myself. So I was literally living off of catering tips and, and waiting tables and, and for the first year and a half. And then I was cooking food. Every Sunday night, I, I had to close that, that, that kitchen down um, for at least a year. And, um, you, you know, it was just an immense grind. I mean, it just never stopped. But what we just it, it, it started working. And about three years after that, we, we stumbled on the location of the Heights. And we got there and it's just, it's a catbird spot and uh, open. We're busy the first day we opened and all of a sudden March rolled around, February rolled around. We never sold crawfish. Phone started ringing. Hey, you got crawfish. You got crawfish. Nah, no, nah, we don't have crawfish. And um, well, the following year, you know, I was like, phone ring too many times. Like we're doing crawfish, you know, we're going to do crawfish. I did it on catering. I knew how to handle crawfish. Never really. I love crawfish, but they're pain in the ass. You know, it's a lot just, just, just let me, let me. I, I definitely want to talk about crawfish with you and the evolution of the restaurant. But just, just slow down for just a half second. Talk to me about kind of the po' boys and like of, of all the things you could have done. Like why, why po' boys and and how did you kind of develop that? You know, uh, yeah, I love answering this question. Um, you know, I I was determined to find something uh that could be our identity you know so and i went all over the map with that you know and, and so I, I we we started gearing towards my roots of cajun food and i said okay well what like cajun food but what you know well it, it, it went to the pole boy and i was like okay i kind of looked around like there's not too many pole boy shops around now at the time so i started going to new orleans you know week here two weeks there and just started researching the culture of the po' boy. And I liked it because it's just a blue collar, like working man's type food, you know, like something that almost anybody could get into and enjoy. You go into these amazing po' boy shops and, you know, it was suits and ties and, and, you know, the PM cook going in for a shift, you know? And so you, you, you really could cover every tour, every sort of socioeconomic background that exists, you know, by selling the po' boy. And so, being in New Orleans and really researching that, um, you know, I just fell in love with it. I just started eating and eating and eating po' boys and started to get to know some of those places, know the people that work there. And all of a sudden, a story kind of started coming about in my head, um, you know, about the po' boy. And then, and then we just translated that into the foundation of the po' boy, which you got to have good bread, you know, and so we, we partnered with the local Vietnamese baker here in town for the first five years of our business, you know, La Baguette Bakery. And um, they were our they were our partners. And then we outgrew them. And um, and then we were able to get big enough to get Leidenheimer Bakery's attention out of New Orleans. And then they started supplying us. And, you know, but it, it was just the it was the kind of the. The fillings that go in there, you know, the roast beef, the fried shrimp, the fried oysters. I mean, those were those were the backdrop of, of our menu. And that's what we nailed from day one. The roast beef po' boy is my grandmother's recipe. So I had a very sentimental thing, you know, feeling for me since day one. And then just a quintessential fried shrimp po' boy has been our number one seller since since day one. Every year, it's just our number one seller, selling item. And, you know, I don't remember exactly the first time I, I ate at BB's, but you know, you could get like red beans and rice and a, you know, and a half a po' boy. And it was, 
was pretty affordable and it was obviously it was super casual, you know, an abit of beer. I mean, it was, it was easy, you know, and it was, and it, you're right. It, it was like a refreshing alternative to all the late night stuff that was kind of in Montrose at the time. I, I, you know, I think you, you really fit into something. All right. So, all right. So now you're in the Heights. You have, it's, it's a much, I'm for anyone who hasn't been, I, I think, you know, most people who are listening is probably, probably familiar with it, but, uh, it's a much bigger space and people are calling for crawfish. So tell me you made your name on po'boys, but I think most people think of you now for crawfish. So, so tell me about kind of starting that, that part of the business. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a huge blessing for us. You know, I, I grew up eating crawfish. Um, my father, uh, my mom's side of the family is from, from Louisiana and, um, and, my dad was the first one to bring crawfish to central Texas. And I'm from a little town in Rockdale, Texas, uh, central Texas called Rockdale. Literally no one knew what crawfish were in the, in the mid eighties there, you know, mid to mid to late eighties, everybody had zero clue what it was. And so he brought them there and we had this tradition, good Friday, good, good Friday crawfish bowl. And we just did it every year, every year. And just kept growing every year is like, people came like, man, I'm getting those crawfish again. It just grew, 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 grew. So I grew up around, you know, crawfish cooking with my dad and he showed me how to do it at a young age and we catered a lot of it, but they're a pain in the ass, you know? Um, but our, our the basis of who we are and why we exist now is, is crawfish. And, and um, you got to listen to your customers and, and give them, it's not always what you want. It's, it's about what they want. And in our case with having the big patio and, and crawfish was starting to explode in popularity around this in 2010. Um, you know, we just couldn't say no. We had to figure out a way to do it on a day-to-day basis. So we started off doing them uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday only. That quickly became all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm glad you said that it that it kind of took off around 2010 because I – I grew up here and I don't remember crawfish being as big a deal when I was a teenager, even in college, you know, in the nineties and the, and the early two thousands in the same way that, that it is now. It's nuts. It's completely nuts. And people that have never been a part of it or worked it and our, you know, like our employees or people from the outside that understand our business, they just, you don't understand it until you actually see it, you know? Um, and every year it's just more and more popular. And, um, you know, I mean, heck, uh, they, the, the, you know, city of Houston consumes more crawfish than the whole state of Louisiana. You know, we're an epicenter. Like Houston is the epicenter of crawfish consumption uh, in the world. You know? So I, I mean, do you have a theory about like why it suddenly took off or why it's such a, why it's so successful? You know, my theory, a couple, a couple of theories. One, um, obviously, all the cold, you know, with the the uh, Katrina, brought a bunch of people here that didn't live here before, um, and so I think just the the Louisiana roots that that moved here for for whatever you know, work, storm, more opportunity, um, that they, they moved here and just one by one by one they started showing Texas guys. Hey, crawfish bowl, backyard crawfish bowl, backyard crawfish bowl. And, um, you know, I think Raging Cage has done a hell of a job. They're kind of the, the grandfather, so to speak, of it. You know, they're doing it here before anybody. Uh, 
we're, we're, we're was doing crawfish in, in Houston and you know, they're all, they're all Louisiana boys, you know? So I think it's just kind of that, that mix of, of uh culture that from Louisiana that moved here for whatever reason, the Asian, the Asian culture has been massive for the, the popularity of crawfish as well. All right. So, so talk to me about logistics. I mean, how many pounds of crawfish do you, I don't even know in a, in a day, in a week, like when, when you're really running, I mean, you know, what's it like to, to source all that and, and or do it you here know, and cook it? Yeah. One of our high skilled uh, executives we have, it's, it becomes a pretty much a full-time job for him to, to deal with all that on the purchasing side. We have four different buyers that we buy from. Uh, it's a logistical nightmare, you know, because the, Price is always changing. This time of the year, they're they go through eight to ten molts a year. So they'll lose. You, you got to know where they're molting, where they're not, because just because they're molting in this area of Louisiana, they're, they're not molting over here. So you you have to have your finger on that pulse so you can know where to buy them from, because you, you buy multi crawfish and and you're it's just they're terrible, you know. Uh, <laughs> Soft shell crawfish, essentially. You know we've. Last year we sold uh, almost 1.3 million pounds of, of crawfish on the year. So we're humming. I mean, during the peak of our season, we're selling 70,000 70, pounds a week, easy. Jeez, it's a it's a huge deal, you know, for us. But it's a you you have to have what we found is 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 dedicating this one individual to this purchasing of it and sourcing of it for us has been the key because he keeps his fingers on the pulse on weather conditions and ponds by region and then buys around the, the problematic issues. And then sure enough, a couple of weeks later, that pond's fine. We'll start buying from them, but he knows all this stuff, you know? Yeah. So, all right. So, so do you have like a crawfish season forecast? I know we're, we're a couple of three weeks in, like how's it going so far? And, and what do you think? I mean, you know, um, they, I think it's going to be good. It's, it's more, we're, we've, we, we kind of follow the trends of, of diesel fuel. So um, that that has a strong impact on the price of, of crawfish. So uh, they're expensive, um, but it's looking better uh, in terms of, of pricing. Um, they're about the same as they were last year. Last year was very expensive for everybody, you know. And um, so we're having to make some adjustments on that just to kind of cover uh, some, some lost costs that we had to kind of take on the chin last year. But – uh, quality's been looking fantastic, um, especially considering the weather that we had the last couple of weeks uh, with this week and just nasty cold rain, no sunshine. Uh, they they're they're looking they're solid mediums right now, which I'll I'll take any any day uh, for for early for early February. Yeah, so I mean, people are paying what about ten bucks a pound right now, and yeah, we're at ten ninety nine a pound, and then we we'll typically go down. We like last year when we combined all of our promos and specials in and stuff like that at the end of the year we average about our average sell price per pound of crawfish was seven dollars and 87 cents you know so it starts high and then it kind of withers down and after easter normally is when a lot of the deals kind of start coming out you know yeah i i feel like you know i i miss i miss six dollar a dozen gulf oysters and i miss uh, five dollar a pound crawfish. I, I I think those are those are things that I'm 
I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my children about, but but I don't know that we'll exactly. see them on a consistent basis yeah. ever again. Back. <laughs> so clearly, you you've made your reputation around crawfish, and you've grown this business tremendously. I mean, you know, I remember you opened the third, you know, the third location on on Richmond in the Upper Kirby area in 2012, and it's really just taken off since then. So, how many BBs are there these days? We have 14. 12 in Houston, Antonio. I mean, do you is there is there any part of Houston left to conquer for you? I mean, do you do you feel like you've kind of got the whole city covered at this point? You know, there's still some pockets up north in the Woodlands area, um, southwest side, Richmond area. Those are two markets that we like. We like East, like Barbers Hill, Mount Pleasant area, um, Baytown, like a little east of Baytown. We like that area. So there's definitely still some pockets that we can get into in Houston. We just got to find the right right spot and the right deal. And then San Antonio has proven to be a very strong market. And, um, you know, we think that the Dallas-Fort Worth area would be a no-brainer for us as well eventually. Well, start with – I mean, start with San Antonio. Kind of how did you identify that as the next – as opposed to Austin or San Antonio? Kind of how did you – how did you identify that? And, you know, as you said, Houston has a, a big Louisiana influx after Katrina. Do people in San Antonio get this cuisine? Yes and no. They they it's a different it's a different business model for us. They don't. Um, we're selling nowhere near the amount of crawfish uh, that we sell in Houston, but our average sales per square foot are about the same. Um, so they're they're obviously know what our other food is. So we have a pretty if we can grow our crawfish business, it's going to be a total home run. But you know that some things I looked at in that market you know, was a, that we have direct, I have direct family there. Um, and that just helps, you know, we've got boots on the ground, just, you know, just, just a set of eye, just it's a city I love to go to because they're there and we've gotten to know the city. Um, so selfishly, that's probably the number one reason because we like to have fun too, you know, um, you know, when I started really kind of following other players in the Cajun space, and even though not direct, not a direct competitor, uh, Papado's, has two locations there and um, you know, they have a location there that's their best in the group and the amount of revenue that place does would just blow your mind. So that, that to me really proved the city because they wouldn't have the best location uh, of their, I think they have 40 now in, in San Antonio. And I think there are other ones in their top 10. They have two locations there. Um, if, people didn't get, you know, Cajun seafood, you know, we do have a lot of education, a lot of educating to do because we are a little different, but, and there's a lot, a lot similar there as well. Though. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you're looking to grow in Houston. I mean, what do you, what do you kind of look for when you're, when you're picking a location or, or a neighborhood? I mean, what's a good fit for you these days? You know, we've, we try not to get too big. We've we've made that mistake at a few of our existing stores that are that are fine. They're they're, they're average stores for us, and they make they make money. But we're not a big foot, you know. We're not a big footprint restaurant, you know. So for us, we really thrive in this three thirty five hundred to forty five hundred square foot footprint with the patio space. If it's a standalone building, home run for us. Uh, but we can we can get into in caps and a strip center as well and have success in either one of those. 
but something that's been very unique about our footprint is that we are very flexible. Um, we don't have a prototype. If if they meet our, you know, accessibility, visibility, uh, gut gut instinct kind of smell tests, um, we're going on it. We love second generation. That's something I've uh, shoot man. Um, of all of our stores, uh, only one of them is not a second generation. So we've we've, we've had a lot of success of going in and taking over failed restaurant concepts that were well located. You know, we don't need an A plus location to be successful. If we get a B location, we can make we can make it successful if the rent's right. Because our business model, we don't have to, you know, hit home runs everywhere we go. We can we can do base hits and doubles, and then one out of every six or you know five or six is a home run. Awesome. And then you know the the other thing I did want to ask you about is that you. You know, you tried a, a, a drive-through concept up in Conroe, and I, I know it didn't it didn't quite stick. Do you do you have ambitions to to kind of bring that back, or or do you? Or I, I guess what lessons did you learn from that experience? Yeah, good question, Eric. Um, you know, it was. <laughs> I tell you what, it's it's definitely made me gun shot um, because uh, you know folks don't the common person does not realize how incredibly challenging this industry is. And even with the most experienced teams, you make mistakes and you can fail very easily, you know? So, um, you know, realizing that we're not bulletproof obviously was a lesson. We, we, we picked a, at the end of the day, I, it, it was a bad location and I picked it and um, I have to take ownership for that, you know, but th that was the biggest mistake, you know, and then, then you start really looking beyond that, um, the, the concept, although quite different from BB's, it was still a little too similar. Um, and, you know, we were really going back and forth. Do we want to do express BB's or new concepts? And we kind of did this hybrid thing that was a new concept, different from BB's, but we still had some things that were BB's on there. And it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't resonate to anybody uh, other than us. I mean, the food was excellent. Um, and very reasonable. It was, you know, quick service restaurant type pricing. You know, we were getting in there and competing with, you know, the fast food giants of the world. And uh, we couldn't do it. We found out very quick that we just couldn't compete with those guys. You know, we were right around, you know, we were trapped in, in between a bunch of Sonics and Whataburgers and McDonald's and Jack in the Boxes. And that's the market we were going after. Because I wanted to create something that was scalable. And then the, the, the dream was that it would work. And we'd roll this thing out, you know, like all over the country because it's it was easy to operate, not like the BBs where it's, it takes so many people and so many moving parts. We created something that was seamless and easy to operate, but the concept just didn't resonate, you know. And it was high quality food, great prices, we're probably underpriced, and, and boom, we just lost our well, lost our shirts really quick, you know. And after after six months, you know, I was just like, this thing, we got to close this down, you know. We're just the amount of time that's sucking out of us is just more valuable than the amount of money it's losing. We're losing a lot of both of them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's business, right? Like sometimes you have to, uh, you know, you, you, kind of, you kind of are what your customers tell you you are. And if, and if, and if the customers don't respond, then it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter how good the idea is. You got to walk away. Oh, you know, my wife, Marcel has been a, a you know, a part of this business since day one. In a lot of different ways. She's like, let's just hang in there. Let's just keep trying. I'm like, 
She's like, look, look how long it took BBs to go. And I said, yeah, babe, but I was there every day for that. And I can't be there every day. You know, I, I can't, I, I can't do that. You know? Um, so we had to, I had to make the tough decision to say, yeah, it's, it's time to cut bait and move on. I mean, do you ever look at like kind of the fine dining Creole places? I mean, you ever, you ever go to like Eunice or Eugene's or, or even Brennan's and think like, like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do my version of that. Yeah. You know, my dad, my dad's always kind of planting that seed in my ear and it would be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe one day that will happen. Yes. I have thought about it. Not on the horizon right now. Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to, I, I want to do some more concepts, you know, and, and I just don't know what or, or when we're holding on to this mantra space to see if maybe that's could be an incubator, you know, space for a new concept and, and later this year, maybe um, that would be the place to, to do it. Um, because if I did something like that, I'd want to do it on a bigger, a little bigger scale, you know, have some more tables to turn and uh, a little nicer of a place. Let's put it that way. Right. I, I guess, I guess we should, we should just talk a little bit about the new Matros location. You know, you, you took the old Osaka space uh, right there on Westheimer, really, really right around the corner from the original BBs. Obviously you have a lot more room. You have a patio now. So maybe just talk about kind of, kind of that location and, and, you know, kind of making a, a long-term commitment to, to staying in Montrose. Yeah, man. Montrose is near and dear to my heart. I just freaking love that neighborhood. I, everything about it. I love from, from the old bars and the, you know, old dive bars and the people uh, and everything in between. It's just a special place for me. And uh, they put us on the map, you know, if it wasn't for Montrose, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. So we want to give those folks, something nicer, something more closer to kind of who we are and where we've matured to. Um, and that's what we did there. And um, yeah, it's about three, a little, little less than three times the square footage. And like you said, a nice patio, it's right around the corner. It was a very bittersweet day for us, you know, just kind of giving up the baby, but you know, we're, we had five parking spaces, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and frankly, that, that parking lot with the gas station is uh you know, I'm I'm not going to go full Star Wars and say a wretched hive of scum and villainy, but but it's not always the most customer friendly uh, environment. Oh man, during the busy like right now, if we're there, at least one towing a night that we're having to deal with. The the the, the Valero had the tow truck drivers on on retainer, man, so they would just come in and swoop up our customer's car and be gone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nowhere to park. We had to rely on to go business. The kitchen was tiny. And it worked. It just worked. And it was not always the prettiest operation and not always the operation we're the most proud of because sometimes we just kind of had to close our eyes and muscle through what we were dealing with in the moment. But the amount of food we cranked out of there, Eric, was ridiculous. I mean, it was it was stupid how much food that we sold through that little kitchen and um Made it work, man. It was a lot of fun, but it was sometimes it was very problematic for for us and the guests. How how is the new Montrose location going? Are are people finding you? Yeah, it's it's going awesome, man. We're 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 opening the patio up this week, so uh, you know that that's going to be a nice little boost, weather permitting for for February. But come March and April, um, man, that patio is it's a nice patio. Parking's wide open on nights and weekends, basically, so we get 
like 80 parking spaces there. It's big, a lot of parks. Um, sales are pretty solid. You know, we got a lot of opportunity during lunch We we're to, to grow the business. Our late nights are jamming. They've been there. Uh, they've been busy. You know, we can, our goal is to do about 1.25% more revenue than we, that's not our goal. That's what we have to do. We have to do 1.25% revenue, um, you know, over what we were doing at that little one. Um, and then if we can triple it up and, you know, we need to, right. need but you have, you have three times the seat. So that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. If we can triple, it'd be great. You know, we really need to do two and a quarter, you know, about, about 125% more in revenue to really make it work. But, you know, if we can trip, if we can, you know, triple it, it's going to be a home run. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can, you know, you're in the same center as uh, La Cecilia, one of my favorite bakeries. You got to figure out a way to like, trade cannoli for po'boys or something <laughs> that place is awesome man they there's always people in there no i just i i love that spot I, I i just think it's such a it's it's not quite only in houston but it it's definitely it e- even though it's gotten some some attention it, it still feels it's got a little bit of that kind of if you know you know vibe to it which i i always appreciate yeah totally absolutely well i have to say that brings me to the end of my questions is there is there something else you would like to discuss um, you know, Eric, nothing really, no, nothing really comes to my, to my mind, you know, I mean, in this business, what, um, what I've learned is that it, it's, um, it's so people dependent and, and, and uh, folks don't understand what, what it means to, to say, Hey man, the restaurant business is a people business. You know, the folks don't really understand what that means until you actually run a restaurant. And then, you know, how good your recipes are, how good your systems are, um, you know, really don't matter if you don't have the right people. And we, we've been, uh, I've just been incredibly blessed, man, to have, just to be surrounded by top level operators and organization. And I'm just very grateful for that. Well, and, and I'm, yeah, it's definitely a credit to you and, and to the team you built. I mean, there are, there are very few local restaurant groups with, you know, 12 Houston locations and two in San Antonio. I mean, you're, you're kind of occupying, you're kind of occupying rare air for, uh, appreciate that. you know, a 15 year old local business. You know, I, I appreciate that. We've, a lot of people don't realize how much growth we have had and, and uh, it feels good for you to say that, um, you know, Jan, when we opened the Montrose location, that was our, that was our fifth location we opened in the past 15 months. And, um, and uh, you know that was it was a beat down eric i mean we we it was tough you know and and over both holidays you know over both holidays and so you know we're asking our team to to you know just fight through um thanksgiving christmas thanksgiving christmas new year's new year's you know and and we did it and uh i, I tell them i said look guys there's there's not any there's there's not any many brands in Houston that I'm aware of that have, have just put that together to the local born and bred brands out of Houston. We should be proud of that, you know, and um, we're, we're getting ready to kind of take a reset year and um, just button up where we need to do, where we need to button up and then give it a go next year, man. But we're in this business to, to grow and, and create opportunity and, and, and create jobs and have a lot of fun. Well, and, and like you said, you like those second generation spaces and you know, coming out of the pandemic, there were there were locations, and and you were well positioned to 
to move into them. So I, I, you know, I think, I mean, five locations in 15 months sounds absolutely crazy to me, but you know, I think you'll be well rewarded for, for being in that position to, to take advantage of it. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Brooks Bassler, what is your favorite ingredient? Garlic. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Def Leppard. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Warm Moon. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. And a water, water burger. <laughs> and then finally, when you order a pizza, what are your go-to toppings? Cheese and pepperoni. I'm simple. Go wrong with that. Yes, All right, Brooks, give us the give us the website for BB's Tex Orleans. BB's is a BBS TEX Orleans.com. BB's Tex Orleans.com. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.